Welcome to Blind Shovel, an arts and music podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with LA-based musician Alex Fender. Hope you enjoy. on today what we're working on today well i just finished a whole bunch of things and i'm about to start some other things so i'm kind of in a little transition day or two while i clean up my studio and put my life back together and start in on the next thing just did this show for an artist that i've been producing who released their record on Friday. And so we did a release show for that. And they also, I produced a, an acoustic version of that same record, which we just finished recording at Altamira Sound here in Alhambra. I say here, but I don't live in Alhambra, but in Alhambra, LA, for those who don't know. And I'm gonna start in on mixing that today. So that's my thing. What percentage of your time do you spend working on personal projects versus projects that are collaborative with other people? Um, currently, I would put my personal project percentage at something like 5 to 10%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very low right now. Because even my most personal, even one of my more personal projects is a collaboration. So it's like, um, in terms of strictly personal, which those projects do exist. Um, it's been a little bit since I focused on that. Does that bother you or is that something you accept? It's something I accept, but I am right now coming to the end of a roughly two year period where that's really kicked into high gear and I'm starting to be tired of it now. So, I'm right, right. A- aiming to swing the pendulum back in the coming, well, for the rest of this year and into the next. I mean, what, how old are you now? 36. And do you feel like you understand the singular voice that you're trying to communicate in your personal work? I felt like the last release I made, which was a single called Alice one more week the one more week was in parentheses this is under mm-hmm, my mm-hmm. solo project which is called fred with a silent p p f r e d because that's like my last name 
spelled with the silent P and Fred's my middle name. So that's what that comes from. But the last, you know, I put out an EP with that project, the first thing I had made and it was, it took forever. And um, by the end of it, I was like, Hmm, this doesn't really feel quite right yet. I was really proud of that work and I made it with a really great friend of mine who actually engineered and had a lot to do with my band Yo-Yo's first record and he and second um, uh, EP as well named Jack Zofel and he's the best and he and I made that EP together which was really fun process but in the end after it came out and I sort of took a step away and then came back to it I was like this is I'm glad I made this and it was necessary but it's not quite right and then I felt a lot more strongly about this about the single Alice that it was much more like okay yeah, this is something I want to say and how I want to say it and did this video with a good friend of mine who's uh who you know Zach Johnston mm-hmm. who um we made this video in collaboration with my fiance who did the costuming for it and that felt really good and so I kind of want to continue in that vein um Jack and I actually collaborated on another song of mine that I've been sitting on for like a decade that I plan to put out in this coming period. And I'm really proud of that one. And I think that also sort of like feels really correct for my voice, but there's definitely some mystery involved. So I'm excited to see what, what happens. Cause it would be, would it be accurate to say that you, you know, I think you went to school for music, right? I did. Yeah, I and, studied guitar. Yeah, I mean, I, when I interview a lot of musicians, I feel like it's very different than the arts because so often you're involved with other people on projects, collaborating, even if it's commercial or just, you know, a passion project. So there's really no analogy I can make for a visual artist often. Mm-hmm. But how much time have you spent since college trying to figure out that personal project or that personal identity in respect to making music? Um, it was my sole focus out of college for maybe five or six years. Um, that was when I graduated in 2009 um, and moved back home to Oregon briefly, but then moved to LA again. And uh, which is where I went to college, um, and started Yoya in earnest, and that was me and my friend Noah Dietrich, and we just that and that was my main my main thing was just figuring out how to do that band, and so we wrote a bunch of music and made a record and toured constantly, and did follow up things, singles and EP. Um, so I spent a lot of time focusing on that only to the exclusion of many other things. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was, it was super exciting and I felt like it was really, really expressively like accurate at first and really felt like exactly what I wanted to do and, um, and say, and, it was great. And then as time went on, I sort of like had this issue where I was not as happy with the work I was making. And despite like really like 
dedicating a lot of time to it. It just didn't, I don't know. It was this weird thing that was happening where I wasn't getting this feedback loop happening between the work and myself where sometimes when you're really in a good place, you're putting your creative energy into something and it's like surprising you or inspiring you Mm. as you work on it. And it's sort of this, and that's like the perfect state because then you kind of have this um, accelerating like uh, feeling where it's just kind of exponentially getting better. That's sort of been my experience. And then uh, that wasn't, that sort of ceased to happen for a while where I was like putting a lot of energy in, but then when I would try to, I don't know, it just wasn't seem like I, I mean, it's just a long complicated way of saying I wasn't liking what I was writing. And <laughs> no, no, there's more to it than that. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So in respect to not feeling it in a collaborative project, is it easy to tell when that has to do with the other people or person involved in the project, or is it more about the muse or the collective energy? In other words, do you think those things are inseparable? Um, I think it's, in my experience, at least with this project, um, yeah, I think it is, you can tell the difference. And I feel like the difference is that, you know, like earlier when we started, I had like a lot of um, certainty about what I was doing. And I had that thing that I was mentioning, this sort of feedback loop that was happening, this positive feedback loop where I was creating things and I was inspired by the creation and it was leading me to more creative things. And it was like all sort of happening for me and the collaboration, which is like a super long standing collaboration because we've done other projects together and, and whatnot was good, but not without its, you know, contentions as any collaboration is going to have. So we had those and I felt like, you know, whatever, we did our best to deal with them, but I could definitely tell that was not at all the same thing that was happening later where I was, I felt like my, collaborative partner was doing really good work and I was like struggling to match it. And it was really like taking the wind out of my sails because it was hard for me to like, I don't know, sort of felt like I was like, okay, am I going to just lean into this and like, just take a back seat or am I going to keep trying to like bring everything I can to the table. And of course I I did that, but it just was like a real struggle for me. So, um, that, yeah. So that sort of, that happened. We made a record and, and it was cool and I'm proud of the record, but it was, by the time it was done, it was so close to it. And I felt so sort of like that I hadn't quite done it correctly, that it was, it was just a challenge and I haven't actually, revisited it for a while so i don't really know how i feel about it now but yeah i just wanted to ask if both of you felt that way i don't think so that's weird yeah yeah, i think that i mean i don't i don't know for sure but i was i had i mentioned these things of course at the time and then i was just like man this is like really hard for me and i'm um and yeah i think it was probably frustrating for them um yeah it just sounds like marriage in some ways where like 
yeah. I've thought about this quite a bit in relationship to like people will leave marriages because they feel like they're not in love anymore. And if you really think about that, it's kind of a funny reason, especially when like I've worked on projects that have taken three years and I don't, yeah. I don't know what percentage of time I was quote unquote in love with the thing, the project. Yeah. for. Right. I don't think much if I'm being honest, it's mostly sure. just like a thing you really push through. Um, but it's even further interesting that the other person might not even know. And, uh, right. Right. Like they, they might be completely feeling it. Yeah. I think that's an yeah. interesting, uh, that's why I'm impressed by like Radiohead or something, a band that can keep going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's, yeah. The main thing in the main lesson that I wish I had sort of internalized earlier that it's not, not for lack of being told, I was told this a lot, but it's just like, just, you just have to keep going and keep creating. And that's kind of like what I tried to do. And I mean, I I guess I succeeded because we did create stuff, but it was just much more challenging. And I think that overall, I wish I had, I want to sort of adopt a faster clip because I think it is sort of the only good way to make art. And I actually think that's why, well, I don't know. That's kind of an extreme statement, but go ahead, go ahead. I, for me, I think that it, it just is very attractive to me. And what is making art quickly? Hmm. How are these related? What is, what do you feel the speed is uh, kind of um, mitigating? Um, the speed is mitigating over editing and like cyclical hmm. thought patterns where you're like, like part of me thinks that if I had just somehow managed halfway or a quarter of the way into that process, that difficult creative process, just force myself to finish it. Yeah. Instead of continuing to wonder why it wasn't working or like examine, um, try to pick apart what it was I didn't like about it. I think it would have been smarter and maybe now I'm equipped to do this. Should it happen again? It's just like, it's just a natural thing that'll happen when you're creating stuff. And, there's no need to waste time on it. Just finish the thing you're making um, and move on to the next thing. I think I used to be just like, I think a lot of millennials, at least because those are the musicians I talk to the most, share this sentiment that we all kind of think that somehow we like, because of who our musical heroes may have been in our formative years, some of us got this idea that like this conception of the the perfect singular masterpiece and that's what you're striving for to create a masterpiece album um and if you don't do that you're not really succeeding um whereas i think that what i've learned anyway is that it seems a lot more like those things just kind of happen through this strange alchemy of factors and you just have to keep creating and if you're not making a masterpiece you don't need to stop and be like oh no why am i not making a masterpiece i need to make sure that this thing is a masterpiece it's like no just finish whatever this thing is that you're doing maybe the masterpiece will be the next one Um, yeah yeah it's certainly um it's really difficult balancing act especially with the speed of social media these days because then you have the opposing temptation which is to create frivolous work very quickly Right, um, just to be seen. So yeah. I think the answer is somewhere in between. I think there's definitely a ways to become neurotic about the particular issues 
of a relationship or a project where it just completely isn't in the service of it being refined. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I think it is about, it's like, I guess, yeah, you have to develop trust with what's best for the idea, which is really complicated. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that kind of is what has led me to a lot of collaborations because to me, the collaborative environment was how I could sort of let go of these editing things because I didn't have quite as much personal investment in it, or at least not in so far as I was like, I am crafting my statement right now. Instead, it was just, we are making a thing. Um, and doing that with a lot of different people was just kind of like a little key for me to unlocking being able to let go more and being able to just freely create stuff um, without as much neuroticism. And that's been really good. And so I feel like that has taught me a lot. And now I'm that sort of coming back to that point that I'm like ready to reapply my self to my own projects at this point, because I feel a little bit better equipped. And I'm sure you have better financial stability, right? from all this yeah the collaborative yeah the collaborative stuff has really been helpful especially with touring i mean obviously during covid that all stopped and at the time that was a huge relief to me because i was very over it um but then kind of perfect timing beginning of 2022 i joined this band lucius um that tours a lot and that's been a big game changer for me and in a lot of ways it's a great network of people and a lot of really cool creators in their own right and they all kind of do different things and um it's really like opened up my world that way and then also has provided some more financial flexibility which has been great yeah it's curious for me from the outside looking in to this la crew as to when a person is really aligned with a project and when it's strictly for pragmatic reasons, like you've been in a lot of projects that are very different kinds of music, right? Yeah. Are you always, yeah, I mean, I don't know how to ask this without you like having to rank or kind of out yourself in respect to what's more enjoyable, but sometimes I get confused about what the person as an individual really likes, would like to do. Even when I'm mm -hmm. talking to Ian, it's like, did you both play in Ugly Sweaters? Yeah, that that band has an interesting history. But yes, we were both in that together. But you know, my question, it's like, yeah, it's so different than, than talking to a visual artist. But Because from the outside looking, yeah. I, I see you play with all these different bands. Obviously, now you're putting out your own music, which will give me much more clarity into that. But what is the kind of music you... Is Yo-Yo like what you feel yeah, most I mean, aligned it's with? Kinda, it's kind of been a bit of a journey, I guess. And Yoya, I felt very aligned with at first and then a little bit less. So, um, when we kind of, when our productivity kind of fell off, which is about five years ago, um, 2018, 2019, 2018, we put out a record called nothing to No, That was uh, the half turn and, um, did a lot of touring about it. And then that sort of had just wrapped up when COVID hit. And so that productivity, we actually kept writing during COVID quite a lot. We have a kind of a mass of material that now we're trying to finish. But for me, my identification with that project had sort of fallen 
down a bit. Um, and so I was seeking what that was for me. That's when I made that aforementioned solo EP that was like somewhat like it. And then this latest single from me, which is, at this point is nearly two years old. It's like, so it's been a while, but that one I felt like very aligned with personally. Um, I would say that's the most thing that this Fred project in terms of the last music I released, I feel the most aligned with um, and feel the most like personally um, fulfilled by and like, and accurately expressing myself. But Yoya is a close second because there's a ton about that project that I'll always really identify with. And I, and some of the highest highs of my personal expressive capability has been through that project. So like, I really am proud of that band too. And I think mm -hmm. everything else that I do is definitely less than those things, but you know, like, but what they do is they, they satisfy certain, certain genres or styles of expression that I do really love, even if they don't encompass all of me. So like, like ugly sweaters, like I love, you know, pop punk music. I had my blink 182 phase and not like we sound a lot like blink 182, but it's like vaguely in the same category. And, um, and I love that stuff and I kind of love playing bass and it's just this great way for me to just have fun playing really loud and fast. And it's just great. I mean, it's just one of the most fun experiences playing live that I've had. It's just a great, it's a riot. I love it. And to even just rehearsing with them is super fun. And it's just like, it's just a really great laboratory for letting go of things. And we do, get pretty creative in there and try a bunch of different things. It's just a fun little sandbox. And I mm -hmm. kind of feel like that about all these other projects. And for Lucius, that's a very, very satisfying creative environment. Cause it's a lot of really sort of like high level people in one place and finding a way to interact with each other and create things together is like really satisfying and fun. I don't like personally, get to express myself beyond the bounds of my role in that band, which is fine. And I, I understand my role in that band very clearly. And like, that's kind of freeing in a way. It's like, okay, this is the place where I come to really work on being an expressive guitarist and learn how to sing background vocals in a way that's really compelling. And it's all an important part of the piece of the whole thing, but it's, very different from doing my own thing. But uh, yeah, I would say that just coming back to the question, the most important things to me are my personal projects. And that's, yeah, yeah. It's a common yeah, thread. Yeah. Yeah. But I can't, you know, I also love the, the limited nature and therefore like the freedom to let go of things that happens when you collaborate. And I love that part. Yeah, yeah, I definitely relate to the idea that you can kind of find much, much more closure when you're working with others. Totally. Uh, yeah. And I mean, sometimes like, it's not, sometimes it's not good. Sometimes you're just like, I don't want to deal with this other person who's stubborn and that's the end of it. Um, right. Yeah. But it does kind of give you closure in a very odd way. Maybe not yeah, for the yeah. best betterment of the project, but it ends. And right. I think that that's true. I think in my case, I thankfully haven't had to deal with a lot of the negative sides of many of these collaborations, but the, 
in terms of like closure. Like I haven't had any existential drama about any of those projects, you know, it's all just, it's much more like doing a job, but a very enjoyable job. Yeah. You're just like, get this thing as good as I can get it. And then I move on. And I love that. So what's your strength, would you say, in all of this? Because I know you do a lot of different things. You produce as well, right? Yeah, I do a lot of, well, not a lot, but I'm trying to do a lot more production, but I've always kind of done some. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a good question because I've been thinking about it a lot recently in the last couple of years um, through the through playing with Lucius. I've been thinking a lot about those strengths or what they are because um, I'm interfacing with other musicians in that band and the other guitar player, the original guitar player in Lucius, Pete, his name is Peter Lalish, is just like a very singular, talented artist. And he's just like such a force um, musically. And so it's really interesting to figure out how to like be the yin to that yang, so to speak. And you know, what it is that's needed for something. And it, it might not be the thing I want to do the most, but it's a fun challenge to try to do that. Um, I guess I would say that my strengths are that, I mean, kind of, it's sort of sad to admit it to myself, but I think that one of my strengths is really just like consistency and being like very solid sort of from a compositional standpoint and that's sad only because i really love like wild creativity and that's kind of in the lucius um context that's what peter does he's the loose cannon Mm. and i'm like the stable rock which is important to have so that the loose cannon can like do the loose cannony stuff and I've sort of learned that that's a strength of mine. It's not something that I, yeah, I just don't love the idea of it, but I do admit that it is one of my strengths. And it's kind of always been because I have this like classical music background and I've always taken a very compositional approach to writing um, and only learned how to improvise like much later in life than a lot of musicians. Mm-hmm. Um and so that like wild creativity is like, has just been a much smaller piece of how I create things. I much, much more commonly would just, you know, sit and write and hone and refine, which I think is perfectly fine and yields obviously like lots of great music has made that way. Um, but I've definitely grown to love and appreciate the spontaneous things about music a lot more in the last few years. So I'm trying to kind of embrace that more myself. Um, I also really love sonic world building. I've always been really into that sort of uh, soundscapey things. I'm much more attracted immediately to the atmosphere of music and the, the sort of sonic qualities of music first and the lyrics and melodies sort of second um those things are really important to me but i can really be taken by a an atmosphere or a you know to use the words that the kids use a vibe Mm -hmm. i really love Mm -hmm. that though and i really think that there's 
something about it that can be very like elemental and affecting in a really basic sort of like human way, which I love. That's sort of what I get from the atmosphere behind music and the atmosphere of music. Yeah. Have you seen the Billy Joel on Howard Stern interview? No. No, he gets into that quite a bit, how he hates that he put, like he hates putting words to music so he doesn't do it anymore. Um, Oh, interesting. But it's a very interesting interview in general. And well, that's a really interesting take from someone like Billy Joel. He's like this <laughs> master lyricist melody maker. That's yeah, I crazy. think so. Yeah, I love Billy Joel. I'd oh, recommend yeah, he's it. the best. I'll definitely watch that. Yeah. Billy Joel is one of the heavy rotation things I had as a child. It was hmm. growing up was Paul Simon's Graceland, oh, yeah. Michael Jackson's Thriller, and Billy Joel's um I wonder which record it was. Yeah, I was gonna ask The Stranger. But, yeah, The Stranger was definitely around a lot. Let me look up um, record uh, covers real quick, because I would recognize the cover, I think. 52nd Street? Mm, maybe. An innocent, an innocent Man? I think you'll know it when you see it. Yeah, let's take a look. Here we are. Let's take a trip down Joel. Yeah, the Joel Lane. Okay, well, obviously, River of Dreams I had on cassette. Um, so I did a lot of River of Dreams listening. Um, yeah, The Stranger for sure. Um, glass Houses. Uh, I mean, honestly, I actually, now that I think about it, it must have been a greatest hits because I had, I remember only having not that many of his recordings, but there are songs from all of these records that I are like part of my childhood. So it might've been a compilation record that I had, mm-hmm. um, which makes more sense. But yeah, yeah, not to get lost in the Joel, but so from the outside perspective, why do you think people approach you? Like you said, you're reliable and consistent, but if they're, when do people think of you? When do they say, Oh shit, yeah. I need Fender. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I think early on, like 10 plus years ago, it was because of the Yo-Yo, the first Yo-Yo record called Nothing to Die, which had a little bit of like interesting sort of like organic reach in the LA area. We have been living in LA and we put out the record and it was like fully, you know, zero strategy to putting it out. It was like, I cared a ton about the album and we worked on it really hard, but it was very like, it was before Spotify and before Instagram. And we were just kind of like, I don't know, not thinking a lot about putting it out, but somehow it managed to find its way around. And it was like a really fun experience to, to have people discover that music sort of to me it seemed like out of thin air i don't really know how they found it um and so that was how i got a bunch of my first production jobs was because of that and people were just like i want this i don't know what it was it was probably you know it was not the consistency thing because they didn't know me yeah it wasn't so i think that you know that album is sort of defined by like really sort of like a lot of um bold but simple content so it's like kind of intense acoustic guitar parts that are sort of complex and interesting sounding and then a lot of drum machine sort of ear candy elements 
and then like vocal harmony and that's kind of and there's some synth elements that are sort of interesting in there but it's not like a huge wall of sound record it's not um i don't know it's just it's kind of hard i guess to sum it all up but the at least the one sign that really kind of got around called fireworks was mostly about like this sort of explosive um really high singing really sort of dynamic uh songwriting stuff so i I don't know i think that's sort of what people wanted but i don't really know they didn't really say they're just like oh i love this let's can you produce this thing you know and it's not like we made anything that really sounded like that but sometimes they would be like okay well maybe we could try some drum machine stuff because they knew that i would do that or can you like write a guitar part that's a little bit more like this a little bit more like the yo-yo stuff um and has that has that changed over time what people think you well what they're trying to get out of you yeah i think so because um the funny thing is i like also i have this like a sort of duplicitous like thing in my head like i love really brash loud things but i also have this other side of me that's like probably more than half of me that really loves really understated gentle things um and when left to my own devices i often sort of trend towards that side and so i don't know i mean i think that what people have really loved about working with me recently is just that i'm a good collaborator and i like to explore the possibilities of things in a free and open way. I try not to be like dogmatic about how an approach needs to be. Um, and I've really grown to love learning how to coax the best, most distilled version of someone out. And, um, yeah, just how to like sort of focus in on what the most special thing is that they're doing and make sure that that is getting across the right way. So, yeah, I guess that maybe that's it. And then during Lucia's stuff, working with Danny, who's the drummer and sort of in-house producer for that band, he it's sort of helpful to talk to him about what he thinks I'm good at because he sort of has this a good ear for that. And he often says, oh, yeah, like, I think you're really great at this, like, world-building, atmospheric, like, creation of, like, a world for the music to be in, which makes sense because that's something that I really focus on a lot. Um, and he also notes that I'm a good study, meaning good at just, like, really learning stuff and you don't have to like teach me parts and you don't have to like make sure I understand something about the song. Like I'll just pick all that stuff up. Mm. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe those are the things. You're a rock. A rock. You're solid. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps that's it. But at the same time you say it's kind of unfortunate. You wish it was a little more wild. Yeah, we, I can't, I mean, yeah, I think that's. But, just but is that the is nature that of? Yeah, is that who you are? Just, that's just the nature of life. I think you want things for yourself that other people might never want from you, 
because yes, they're like, yeah. why would I want that? This is the thing that you do. Yeah. And it's yeah. hard for, I think, anybody to come to terms with that gap. But yeah, I wish that people were like, oh, yeah, you need Alex to do this because it'll be crazy and you'll never expect it and it'll be so awesome. <laughs> and it's like, and it's just like, that's, uh, yeah, I wish. That'd be cool. I mean, I feel like I'm sort of pushing myself to go in that direction and it is working for me. I feel like I can sense it happening. Yeah. And in the stuff that I've made in the last year, I think it's been a much bigger part of that. And none of that music is out yet. So it's sort of like, I mm-hmm. guess I can see why none of nobody else would associate me with that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope that it starts coming across more. So are you, are you an individual that sees yourself as rather malleable? And that if you see a like a weakness, you're going to try to strengthen it? Or are you going to lean into the things you're already really strong at? Yeah, I think that I am um, malleable. Mm. I think I'm, I really tend to be sort of like chameleon-like to my own like frustration sometimes. I'm like, wow, I really will just take on the color of stuff. Um, and some t- I think that can be really helpful. It's obviously really helpful when collaborating. And I yeah. think that that's something I've accepted about myself. Like, actually, that's a good thing when what I want to do is collaborate with people because I feel like I can kind of fit into any situation and help improve it and give it some new life, but also in a way that meshes with, with what's there. So I think that is an asset, especially for production, which is something I want to lean into a lot more. So it's a good thing. that, And so in that way, it's sort of, I guess I'm kind of answering that I do both, but I'm leaning into the fact that I am malleable <laughs> or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And how will you know if Fred has succeeded? Is there a kind of a, because with personal projects, it can be difficult. Yeah, certainly. I'm super bad at this part. Um, at, what, at, at what part? At determining parameters of success, yes. setting goals and reaching goals Hmm. i've just been pathologically bad at this my whole life i just feel like well you can't be that bad at it i mean you've succeeded at going to school for music and then making it a career so that's pretty yeah well that's that's pretty solid right okay fair enough thank you Uh i mean i guess that just was such it's funny because to look at it that way that's such a big and aimless sort of goal to have but it is true that that was kind of always just my goal and i have done it but it's been such a funny circuitous like weird path that it like doesn't feel like i've exactly done it but i have so it's just strange i don't know um but how i will know that that fred succeeded i feel like or succeeds i mean it's 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 isn't it infantile fetal at this point yeah oh absolutely yeah no you're right so yeah um i guess one level of that something very goal oriented that i've always wanted to do and a lot of my friends have um sort of worked at and succeeded at which has been a big inspiration for me it's not like they're stuck in some way of doing things and and some people just are productive and prolific and some aren't. But some of my friends have really leaned into this, like, I will be prolific. Here's how much music I will make. And they've, like, really succeeded at doing that, which has been really inspiring for me to see. 
So like, I think that's one measure. I will feel like it would be great if I could set some reasonable goals for how productive, like what, how much music is going to be released and when it's sort of anathema to how I like to make things. Cause I don't usually like to do that, but I feel like it can be at least a flexible, broad goal and sure. exist because having any goal would have helped me release more than what I have so far, you know? So like, that's one measure of success. The whole Spotify numbers thing is a whole other game that I've like have accepted is important. <laughs> so, uh, I don't really know what my goal would be with that, but I would, I, as I like get closer to releasing more music, I want to have more of a, and kind of like a number in mind or like a series of numbers and like, how do I get from one step to the next step? Um, and for me, like nothing makes music feel more real and lived in than doing live performance. I mean, it's like the most important part to me. Mm -hmm. Um, as much as I love creating stuff and tinkering around, it doesn't really like feel like it's real. It has like no touch has no like electricity until it's actually being like played for people in real life. So that's, and that's something I've never, I've never played a Fred show. So, um, that would be a very straightforward goal for that. So yeah, it sounds like quantity is important. Yeah. Quantity is important because right now there's no quantity. <laughs> <laughs> But you're not yeah. sitting there and going like, oh, I need fucking a platinum record or this many followers or this many listens. Are those things on your mind or is that not really part of the goal? No, they're they're on my mind as well, especially as I've seen um, as that reality has gotten closer and closer to me, not because I've gotten closer and closer to those goals, but because the degrees of separation between me and the people who are achieving those things has grown tiny. And now yeah. I'm like one degree away from people who are doing that. It makes it feel a lot more like that's something that actually happens in life sure, and a little yeah. bit less like something I just read about. Um, and so that makes me want it more. And because I can see, how transformative it can be for people. Mm. Um, and you know, I just, something about like my upbringing made me sort of like have this kind of like strange view about prioritizing success or prioritizing, um, or like celebrating success. It was not, I don't know. I don't, I feel like somehow I got to the point in life where I just considered, I was, I was told the message so many times that like, well, success isn't the thing that matters. What matters is like what you learn from it or what matters is the friends you make or what, you know, whatever, like these things that are true, but I've got that message so relentlessly that I started to feel like success was completely beside the point and didn't matter at all. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really changed as I've seen what success can do for people. And I'm like, actually, I want that for sure. I definitely want that. <laughs> of course I want that. And I've been working towards what, what it do you think it can do? admitting what, what, it. What can it do? Um, I mean, the most, the most important things I've, that I want for myself that I've seen other people achieve is like flex, flexibility with their lives 
they are they're able to have their modest comforts without very much effort they're able to travel and experience life sort of like as they want to on their own terms without having to like really be worried about how they were going to make it work financially um it's not like they have crazy lifestyles or anything it's just like yeah. they're sort of just living the way they want to and most importantly that is like very important but i think almost more importantly is access to further creative endeavors is yeah like limitless and that is so cool to me like my favorite thing about some people's success is how much it has um brought out more success and more art and more of like more creation it's like not about getting a platinum record so they can like hide in their mansion it's so they can continue working with younger and less experienced or successful but still really great artists or whatever it is that they want to do it all feels like it's right there and the mm -hmm. music industry can be so tiny um when you get up to the higher echelons everyone knows each other and everyone's just like i don't know it just feels very immediate and right out there but it's not really accessible to you without some level or some of us of success or some association with a level of success and that no, no that, that's a great that's a great answer yeah you agree totally yeah i mean that's like and that's the <laughs> okay. thing that i i agree that my answer was just no so i actually I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I am curious to hear more about the thing you said before which i find very interesting uh in respect to the under uh, what would you say undervaluing of success in a kind of tangible metrics? Cause I talk about it quite a bit where like, I don't, I think there's certain metrics that are really tangible that are helpful. And then there's other ones that aren't, but mm -hmm. also sometimes they correlate, like maybe likes yeah. do, do correlate to mm -hmm. sales and maybe sales do correlate to the, everything you just said. But yeah. where do you think that idea came from that you, like, were you raised Christian? So, uh, yes, I was. Because there's almost and... a humility, like, a, I was raised Christian, and I feel like there's an aspect of humility, which I think is good, mm -hmm. um, but it can get conflated and abused as a kind of, like, um, mediocrity, or just, like, just kind of yeah. just kind of stay in the corner yeah, idea. Yeah, just be, be quiet and be humble. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I, I, I totally think that that is true, and I was raised Christian. And I mean, I think that is the beautiful thing about Christianity. If there is something there is the humility aspect to it, which is why, like, I have this funny sort of like thing in life where a lot of people don't know I was raised Christian. Um, and I don't identify with Christianity very much anymore. And I'm, I certainly don't like practice mm -hmm. Christianity. I haven't since I was like not really able to do it of my own volition anyway. Like I was just raised Christian. It was just a yeah. thing that was sort of automatic, but, um, but I actually do like, there are some things about it that I really do like, and it's so anathema to the way most people like perceive Christianity true, now, true. which yeah, is yeah. like this yeah. total, like 
abuse of what it's supposed to be and it's completely backwards and like the mega church thing is just such a joke compared to what Christianity is supposed to be about. Um, so yeah, I do think that was probably part of it. I also had, you know, like my parents are like hippies and they were very much like part of the counterculture world. Um, and that did not mean be quiet. Like I never had a repressed childhood. I was never told not to like do things. I was really encouraged to play music. We had a very like musical household. Me and both my older brothers played. We like had to start playing piano when we were young and we all you had, you other... had to. Oh yeah. I mean, I like that. Yeah. We were forced absolutely to. forced to do it. I mean, <laughs> And I have cool. really learned to appreciate that so much because I never would have done it without being forced to do it. Um, sure. And it has totally changed my life, like completely shaped it. And uh, no, I was totally, I was bribed to start playing violin. I was really into um, Star Wars cards when I was a kid. And when I was 10 and I moved from Kansas where I was born to Oregon, uh, where I grew up the rest of the way. Um, my mom was just like, okay, well, I will buy you the Obi-Wan Kenobi card if you start playing violin. And I was like, done. Yeah. Absolutely. And easy. so, yeah, that's a, such an easy calculation. So, you know, that was all really encouraged. And so like being sort of like, quote, loud in that way was, was celebrated. You know, it was like, yeah, do, mm -hmm. do stuff, you know? And I did like composition, um, they had a little composition contest in Manhattan, Kansas, where I was born that I entered when I was, had just started playing piano and, um, and I won that competition, which was like really funny for me. And I had like, I have to still have this little plaque that I got for it. And so I've been doing that on some level ever since then. And, uh, that part was, was celebrated, but it was more that, um, that it was like, well, definitely the Christian part was that opulence and celebration of wealth was absolutely like, sure, sure. looked down on, like, yeah, don't yeah. do that. Don't, um, you know, uh, motorized recreational activities like boats with motors on them and jet skis super looked down on by that's my all, that's family. Awesome. That's so we specific. We were like, we are not, if we're going camping, like we're going to go there in a car and we're going to have a tent, but like we are definitely not going to bring any like gadgets or toys. And if you do that, you're like a loser. It's um, true. It's true. Wait, but what about electric guitars and things like so that? So, elect well, that was really hard for my parents, actually, I think. Nice. That when I, I dug out my dad's Gibson J45 from his closet when I was 14. And was like, I'm going to start playing this. I was extremely just like obsessed with the Beatles. I found them when I was about that age. I had always sort of casually listened to the Beatles since I was a child and was really hyper aware of like, you either liked Beatles or you liked Elvis. That was a thing that me and my friends sort of like agreed on when we were seven. And so I had Beatles records because I was a Beatles fan and not an Elvis fan or a Beach Boys fan. I sort of like defined my my musical taste in opposition to those things, which I always thought was funny. Um, but I did. 
anyway, I, I really got into the Beatles when I was 14. And I just, that um, Paul McCartney back in the U.S. tour was like televised on PBS. I don't know if you saw that. It was like a... I did not, know. It was like a, I don't know, four-part tour thing. So maybe like a four-hour long special. And I watched that just religiously because it was like a... It was like a mini Beatles anthology. It sort of went over their whole story and their whole history while also doing these concerts. And it just like threw me into Beatles mania big time. And I just revisited all their records. I learned all their songs. And that was when I was like, I need to play guitar. And I just, I got it out and I started doing it. And my mom quickly was like, okay, well, you need to still play violin. Like this can't replace violin. And I was like, okay. It won't, but of course, like my heart had already like moved on, but I did, I kept playing violin until I graduated high school, but I really didn't care about it that much anymore. And, um, they finally conceded and got me an electric guitar. I think when I was like 15 or so, yeah, I think a year later. Um, so that, you know, that was a shift for them because they were like, yeah, because they were hippies. But they were also hippies that were still into Bob Dylan after he went electric. Like, I don't know how incensed they really were about that thing. Sure. They still had, you know, Jimi Hendrix records. But they probably put a little bit more value on the folkier side of the hippie world. On humanity. Yeah. yeah. I respect that immensely, I think. And to be fair, the humility of Christianity is meant to stop individuals from thinking they are God. I think that's the point, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, pride, you conflate yourself with a God, which I think artists often do and that you can see it destroy their life pretty sure. rapidly. And success does it to people as well. Yeah. I think yeah. as you get older, at least for me, you have to untie a lot of these knots because my Christianity flew right. It kind of flowed into punk rock mm. uh, ethics where it's just like, the same ideas, I guess, in some sense. Yeah, There's kind totally. of this yeah. frowning upon success or mm-hmm. or mass acceptance and or deification of a person yeah. or a rock star. I do really yeah. love that. I I definitely rejected punk at, as a teenager because I thought it was musically inferior it to is. what it I is. was into. But that's sort of the point. I got much more into punk later. Like I never got deeply into it, but I I appreciate it much more than I used to now. And I love that part of it. I love like there are no rock stars thing. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah. It is. It is in a way, you know, but it can lead into a kind of rejection of superiors, like geniuses. Like there's definitely mm-hmm. musicians and artists who are superior to us. And I think sure. that kind of blanketing is very convenient when you're not one of those people. When you're not good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, not even, I like, yeah. can be good and just be like, oh, I'm not great. I'm never going to be that great. Yeah, um, right. So I think there's upside and downside to both of those processes, but I think it makes sense. You know, for me, it took a while to just be even remotely comfortable with certain forms of success. I'm still not comfortable with social media as like a more involved process, something outside of a portfolio. Um, Right. But it looks like you're rather expressive on your Instagram. Yeah, I tend to, um, I've never been disciplined enough or probably a combination of discipline and also like you sort of rejection of like, 
I don't know the businessy side of it. I've never been disciplined at like creating content on a schedule. I've never been able to do that with any social media. I mean, uh, when Yoya was in its infancy, we, I was friends with, uh, Jack Conti, um, of Pomplamus and later now the CEO of Patreon. And maybe he's a little bit more famous for that now, but at the time, you know, Pomplamus was like making all these YouTube videos. They were like this big YouTube thing. And so for a second, we did that. We made a few videos on, on YouTube and I'm actually really proud of those videos. I think they're really pretty good. Um, and we, but despite feeling good about those, we never entered a rhythm. Like we just couldn't do it. And that's like the main defining characteristic of social media success is like scheduled creation. And I, we just never did that. I've never done that. I don't know why. I just like can't, can't figure that out. I can't want it enough to make it happen. Yeah. Um, but I do like, I just go through little fits and starts with Instagram. I think it's like, I think it's a great way to express things and I just don't ever do it consistently. But then when I do it, I tend to do it kind of a lot at once and then I stop and, uh, and the cycle repeats. Right. But I'm not so against it that I've deleted it ever or gone off of it completely. I know people that have, and I think that's pretty sweet, but (laughs) I also am afraid to do that. So, (laughs) so what do you want from Fred? Um, in the end, I actually want to just be, I just want, um, an establishment as an artist that people can listen to and go see shows of. And I just like want, I, you know, I would love to do some tours. I'd love to do like one or two tours a year. I want it to sort of be this like low level, but consistent thing that I just like always do. Um, I have a lot of respect for that. I mean, speaking of consistency, but that feels much like a much more real and valuable type of consistency as compared to like posting on social media. But I love when acts have been around forever. And when people are like, Oh yeah, he's just like, he performs every month or twice every two months or whatever. And, you know, it's just like, maybe you sell a hundred or 200 tickets to your shows and, people love them and it's more like community focused, that would be great. I would consider that like a big success if that was what that project became. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just asked cause I think it's, I don't assume everyone secretly has the exact same goal. Yeah. You know? I think we're all human and we all want attention of different types. Yeah. I do think, um, you know, there's spiritual goals at play here. I'm sure for you, mm-hmm. or I don't know if you. Oh, for sure. I don't know if you have that. Aspect. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I do. Yeah. In what yeah. sense? Um, I'm probably not going to be able to put very good words to it, but I just have always sort of felt that music has always had a spiritual place in my life because that was my first also sort of in like a Christian way, like all of my early music exposure was to religious music. Um, you know, but like, hip, be- like hippie Christian, like, like, uh, 
what kind of music or just church uh, music? Uh, mostly church music. I love the idea of hippie Christian and I want to talk more about what that might be, but no, it's, a um, thing. it's definitely a thing. Okay. I'm ignorant of that. I'm really? excited to was, hear about that. It was that. a big aspect of the hippie movement. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that is kind of like what spoke to my parents. I always kind of wondered why they became Christian, why they raised their children Christian. Um, maybe that has some answers for me in there, but the, um, no, like, you know, cause playing classical music, obviously huge majority of classical music from before a certain period was like expressly religious. And it was like, that was its point. And, um, so piano and violin, in that way, orchestral music, I sang in choirs. So there's just like loads of religious music and all that, you know, yeah. definitely a majority, a huge majority. And then of course, any um, music from church, which is some of my earliest participation in music, of course, all hymns and stuff. So um, it's just always been like that. And I've always like identified really strongly with music that has those overtones and like, I don't like expressly religious music, especially like modern expressly religious music. Like doesn't really mean much to me mm -hmm. or it feels like kind of like a put on, but stuff that's just outside of the directly religious. I do really love like Sufjan Stevens. I love his music. And I think that he's got this like thread through so much of his stuff that has this like Christian um, oh yeah yeah completely bent and and i even though like if you know that about him you're like yeah of course and if you don't know that about him you might not get it you know at first um, no yeah yeah until yeah. he drops the j word in a song and you're like oh but it's just the j word. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i think the problem you're identifying with quote-unquote christian modern music is it's just a commodification of an identity like a lot of other things it's just like on the nose pandering yeah. it's not right. Sufjan who honestly is struggling with his identity of christianity for many right. reasons and that happens to be part of his expression so yeah there's just really these kind of opportunistic individuals who maybe have some mid-level talent at creating things who i think are very savvy about right. like identity and consumerism and yeah. You know, I always say to people, like, reggae is clearly Christian music. I mean, it's some of the most overt Christian music. Uh, obviously, Kanye put out that one album, which... Actually, multiple albums, I guess, at this point, which is an interesting example. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. It, that's a that's a long... It's a, it's a weird history, I would say. I don't, I don't know yeah. what it means to be a Christian artist anymore. Yeah, beyond, I mean, I feel like the only touchstones I have are, like, the stuff that I really don't like. And then there's, like, P.O.D. and, like, Christian rock bands from, like, our mm. high school time, mm -hmm. which, of course, I don't love. And then um, <laughs> and then the stuff that's more uh, oblique, like Sufjan. Um, yeah, people who are ex incidentally something, which is yeah. the best kind of expression typically isn't telling you to be something right or how to be right yeah in respect to who's like uh, judging you from the metaphorical sidelines who are musicians that if they told you your music was bad you would die Ooh, i love that um i guess i would first say 
Um, yeah, probably Sufjan. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's probably Sufjan. <laughs> like someone who's like really nice and the, or sure, seems sure, to be, you know, sure, yeah. or seems to like only put out positive energy. And then if they were like, I hate your shit, I'd be like, oh my God, I've like broken two things. Like I've, I've made you be negative because it's that bad. And you also don't like it, which I hate. Um, you know, I was going to say, you know, I also sort of similar to my Beatles phase, I had like an extremely strong protracted Radiohead phase. Mm. And, uh, but the thing is Tom sort of hates everything or it seems like he does. So if he said he didn't like it, I wouldn't, I don't think I would, it would hurt, but I don't think I would hurt that much. Um, cause I would sort of expect it. Um, Maybe, uh, um, they can be dead. Okay. Uh, it sounds like the Beatles, Beatles? George Harris, George Harrison. If George Harrison didn't like it, that would make me really sad. Well, I feel like that that says a lot about you that Harrison is your main Beatle. Yeah. I mean, I also am a huge Paul fan and that's like, I think that I like that because, people tend to just sort of like think that they should like John Lennon and they should hate Paul. And, and there's so much like popular discourse about hating Paul and liking John. Yeah, um, no, I'm Paul over. I just John. think that that's ignores just blatant facts about their abilities. Like Paul is clearly just a monster talent in so many ways. And if, you're out there saying that's not true. You're stupid, in my opinion. And um, yeah, I mean Paul too. But I think I would feel, I would feel it in my heart more if George didn't like it because I love his like philosophy, and he's just a little bit more someone of the Beatle I identify with more. What um, is what is his philosophy, George? Well. I feel like I shouldn't go on the record saying what it is because I'm probably wrong or like partially informed. But if I was going to say my interpretation of his philosophy is like very, um, very detached from outcomes. He's very like, you know, he just, there's this interview um, that they're giving, you know, in like 1964 at like the height of Beatlemania and an interviewer is saying like, well, you know, you have like the number one song on the charts right now. And like, what do you think is going to happen with the Beatles essentially? And he's like, well, you know, I don't really know. Um, but I know that we, I'm probably getting this kind of wrong, but he's the part of it. I do really remember. I think he said something like, you know, we love playing music or something to that effect. But the thing he, he says that I really remembered is he was like, I think that we do this for music. And so whether we are up here or down there, meaning on the charts or in popularity, I think we'll be doing it for at least another couple of years. Um, And I just thought that was so awesome because he wasn't like, yeah, well, you know, there's no ego in it. He wasn't like, we, I think we'll keep getting number ones or like he didn't even say, I hope we keep getting number ones. He was just sort of like, yeah, well we like it. And so even if it's not successful, we'll keep doing it for at least a while. And just knowing that came out of the mind of a beetle is just kind of crazy. Um, so 
I don't know. I guess that says something about his philosophy. I also love all things must pass. And like the, I love that he um, was a gardener mm-hmm. and that he was just like, I, you know, in like 1970 something, he was saying like, I'm just, I'm a gardener. I plant things and I watch them grow. That's what I do. Um, I love that. I kind of love even in a, in a sad way that he was sort of thwarted as a beetle and as an artist under the yoke of these like just generational talents of Paul and John. And he was like also writing really great stuff, but was sort of forced into this like small role and Mm -hmm. sort of reading, reading some of the interviews about that stuff. Like for example, I think, you know, Paul McCartney was talking, they were being interviewed and this was like in 1969 maybe or eight. And after the, after Abbey road actually, so it must've been 69 or 70 or something, but um, like shortly before they broke up and Paul said something to the effect of, he was asked like, why don't, why doesn't George have more songs or something like that? You know? And he was like, well, you know, I think he is, he's always written songs and lately those songs have been really good. And so I think that's why we're using more of his songs now. Um, and this was sort of, I think in direct reference to the song something and, mm-hmm. and George said something like, well, I wrote that like three years ago, but whatever. Nobody cared. Yeah. Nobody's paying attention. Yeah. Or sort of so, yeah, that like, well, sense. I have this, I have this talent. I, I am better than you give me credit for, but you know, he sort of just had to kind of, it's hard to say that he suffered because he's one of the most, you know, revered successful musicians that ever lived. But it's, it's true that he still sort of like had this second fiddle status. And then he had this thing where after the Beatles broke up, he had sort of put out the word. He's like, can I please be the first one to release a solo record? Cause I like basically have one already and, and it would just mean a lot to me to be able to do that. Like after this, you know, I'm kind of putting words in his mouth, but I think it's sort of like after being essentially the Paul and John vehicle for seven or eight years, like I really love to come out of this with a fresh start. And I don't know if people said yes or not, but regardless, Paul was the first one to release a record because he was just like, no, I'm going to do that. Which that's the really shitty side of Paul is he's just sort of like merciless and, and ruthless and i've and that sucks and it's sad that george like i don't think ultimately it really mattered but i think it's just a dimension to his soul that is i don't know sort of touching yeah and that he yeah and that he put out all things must pass is like this the message of that record in the light of all those events just means all the more um and yeah, that's why I would hate to be rejected by George Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> so concise. I mean, yeah. I, he did write a number one song about Jesus. So that's, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if there exists another one like that. Yeah, that's a good point. That is a hell of a song. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we covered everything. You know what, though? I like to... If there were three songs that people should listen to to understand the soul, the essence of 
who you are as an artist, whether solo or with someone, what would those be? Are you talking about music of mine? Yeah. Or music yeah. that I would be, oh. No, no, no. It could, um, be, it could be anything. I don't, it could be a collaboration or, you know. Okay, let's see. Um, I think that um, the Fred single that I mentioned, Alice, mm-hmm. One More Week is a is good one because it's my most recent work and, and yeah, I like that one. Um, I think the Yoya song fireworks because it was sort of a very, very good expression of who I was at least at one point. Um, and as for the third, Hmm. Is there a song where you really shine, even if it's not your song? Mm, let's see. Or are you more hidden in the background, gluing things together? Yeah, I mean, there's a, I mean, all the, there's a ton of yo-yo songs that I would name, um, but since I've already put one in, I'll move on that on from there. I mean, all the yo-yo discography, a lot of that stuff, I feel very like represents me or did. Um I think that the latest record I produced that just came out on Friday, um, which is Lauren O'Connell is the artist and the album is called everything feels ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And I feel I'm definitely, you know, I'm just a I'm pro- producer. I played a lot of instruments on the record, a lot of guitar, some bass, or actually all the bass, um, bunch of keys and other stuff. And I do some background vocals and whatever. So I'm sort of like all over the record in a supporting role. But I think that the song, um, there's a few songs on that record that I think I shine on as a producer or player. And like, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say two. So the song Horsefly, which is one of the singles from the record, and another one called I Want to Be Your Man. And those are both songs that I just really love. They're great um, as songs, and they sort of represent what I would do in a production environment. Horsefly sort of has this, takes a really sort of like subdued song and puts it into a more sort of like optimistic, lighthearted atmosphere. Um, We always said as we were making it that like made this sad song sort of like run through a meadow in the summertime or something. And that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it feels like. And then I want to be your man just has some guitar stuff that I really like in it that I did. And, uh, it's just a great song. Perfect. Well, I'll link to those in the bio or whatever the, the description of the podcast. Perfect. And, uh, pleasure talking to you. I hope you have a good day. Thanks. You too. I hope we cross paths again at some point. I can't imagine we won't. I mean, yeah, at some point soon is, I guess, what I was going to say. <laughs> I think I'm sure I'll will. see you again before we die. I think so. Yeah, I feel like it, it'll happen soon. I mean, I do run a music venue at this point, so. Yeah, yeah that seems inevitable. I should come out to New York. I should play, uh, should play a show at your space. That would be cool. Why not? Yeah. 
Okay. When are you I'm coming out just, to New York next? I'm going to think about that. Um, currently no touring plans. We hit New York a lot this year. I was just there in August, but, um, but I don't currently have any plans to go out there right now, although my brother lives there. So mm-hmm. maybe I will, uh, come visit him before any tours happen, but I'll let you know when a plan is forming. Sounds good. All right, Michael, you got anything else you need to get off your chest publicly? Um, you want to call anyone out? <laughs> yeah, I'd love to settle some scores right now. <laughs> that should be um, part of. I think that should be part of the podcast. Yeah, that would be good. You should do like three songs that you I think identify, and also one score you'd like to settle. Just go ahead. And yeah, do yeah, it yeah. Right, Any beef right you want to start? Yeah, or, you could squash a beef. Yeah, I could eat some beef. Mm-hmm. Squash a beef is that sounds sort of like burying the hatchet. That's not really the same as it's completely like, different. Yeah, getting even. Yeah, a little more conciliatory um i'd like to call out my high school nemesis veronica i don't know why you didn't like me but you didn't okay um so that's it. That. you only get one that's staying in the recording by the way so. <laughs> perfect all right all right dude i'll talk to you later have a good day bye music by dory bavarsky and mingja chen next up we have banu pretep 